Hi all, you're listening to Culture Shocked with Dr. Emer Nolan. Hi all and welcome to this episode. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Paula Kalajuri. Paula is a highly accomplished American academic, a psychologist, a talent management specialist, an author and an entrepreneur. As a distinguished professor in international business and strategy at Northeastern University, her expertise span cross-cultural management, global leadership development, and cultural agility, which she'll be speaking to us about today. Actually, you might have seen her as an expert guest on CNN and CNN International. Paula is also the creator of the widely acclaimed LinkedIn learning course called Managing Globally, and her latest book, Build Your Cultural Agility, The Nine Competencies of Successful Global Professionals was released in March 2021. Hi, Paula. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today on the podcast. It's great to have you. I think you're joining me from Boston. Is that correct? It is. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm sure. Is it sunny in Boston this morning? It is. Absolutely gorgeous day. Okay, in Ireland, we have, well, in Galway, where I'm located, uh, the traditional rain. So I know I'm traveling to Boston next week. So I'm looking forward to soak in some of the sunshine that you have to offer. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to welcome you here. <laughs> um, Paula, you're here today um, to, to speak to everyone about uh, cultural agility. Um, but before we delve into what is cultural agility, um, it would be great if you could give people an overview um, of yourself and kind of your career to date and how you ended up researching this area. Sure, sure. My, my, my background actually, it started in a very unelegant way. I was a junior in college studying abroad, like a lot of junior in colleges, <laughs> juniors in college study abroad. Um, the difference was it was 1987 and I was studying in Rome, Italy. Um, in 1987, the you know, the market crashed and the money I had saved was in an Italian bank. So like a lot of people, my money was not, I didn't have a lot of it. Um, so my mom and dad said, well, if you really want to stay in Italy, you need to get a job and, mm -hmm. or, or come home. Those are my options. And I'm like, okay, well, I wanted to stay in Italy. So I got a job. I was starting to tutor. Anyhow, fast forward. Um, I ended up going from having a very American experience where I was just hanging and spending time with other American kids to having a very Italian one. I was working, I'm spending time with my, my family in Southern Italy. I had an Italian boyfriend. I mean, life was, it was a very um, deep, rich cultural experience. So this jumps to uh, back in finishing up my, my degree and my psychology professors I was studying with said, Paula, if this was so profound for you, why don't you study it? So my graduate school application said, I really want to study what makes people effective living and working internationally. And I want to know how they change from deep developmental cross-cultural experiences because I had changed so much. So yeah. then, so, so I joke that now are we 30 something years later, I still study what makes people effective living and working internationally and how they change from deep developmental cross-cultural experiences. But in the <laughs> meantime, I, I've been just really blessed with a great career. You know, it's been, I've been able to work with groups as diverse as the military and the Peace Corps and, you know, Fortune 500s and startups, um, students who are studying abroad, but also executives who are living abroad. So it's been a really nice, um, nice run. And, and learning along the way and learning 
and 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 changing. I think my my research has really evolved over the years. But anyhow, it's that that's where it started. That's where I am. <laughs> yeah, no, that's and it's really interesting because even when you're speaking about how you became interested in it, we're almost parallel in the reasoning why. The only difference was I was in Spain. <laughs> you were in Spain. <laughs> and, and it was that that feeling of first being the tourist there. Um, and then having a prolonged stay. So did you end up learning Italian while you were there? Oh, very, very poorly. Mm. <laughs> similar to me with Spanish, so yeah. There you go. And can you remember, you know, if you can kind of reflect back to that point in time, can you remember a particular incident that happened that you kind of had that aha moment this is this is something really different and it sparked that curiosity or was it more just like a, a cumulative thing over time that started to gather your interest? Oh, you know, I was I was yeah, so I was 20 years old at the time. I admittedly it didn't that spark didn't happen. So I was in um, it was a little more not a survival sounds a little too dramatic, but I was just in a responsive mode, right? I needed to, to stay, to finish out my semester. I needed to stay, I needed to work. I needed to stop traveling because I didn't have money. I did have a year rail pass and I did have a lot of family members down in Southern Italy. Mm-hmm. So between Rome and, and going down to Calabria, I, I was really just responding to the, to, to the reality that I was in. What happened though, when I returned, um, I was depressed. I was sad. I was mopey. I was I mean, what we now know and can identify as repatriation adjustment. At mm. the time, I didn't know what it was, nor did my psychology professors. So they sent me to the library. And as I was reading, I light bulb started going off going, okay, wow, I, this is really a thing. And there's, I, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, and at the same time, I was also extremely interested in in personality differences yeah um, starting to become a, a popular topic and mm. I, that that's actually what my initial research was on was those dispositional traits that relate to people who who do well in and change from cross-cultural experiences yeah and, and yes, the aha moment was back at home <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people and anyone who's listening, when when you move to a new country, you think, okay, all the differences that I have to get accustomed to. And more often than not, you you somewhat forget that when I move home, now I have to readjust again. So the same, even when I moved back from the States five years ago, the exact same thing happened with me. It was like a readjustment in your mindset um, and reverse culture shock almost as well. Um, oh, and it's worse because you don't have the benefit or the luxury of being the outsider, right? Yeah, so yeah. people will still treat you in a way that they give you some slack when you're home. Everyone's just expecting you to fall right back in and you and you can't because you're different, you know, and you, you, you're, you've changed and the circumstances aren't familiar, even though they are. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember so many times when I came home, either I adapted the way just certain terms, for example, instead of saying, you know, uh, the rubbish, I would say the trash. Um, And I remember, you know, I didn't change those words when I came home at the beginning. And uh, so many people said, oh, you're not in America anymore, Emer. You know, we don't use and you're kind of, yeah, they're very blunt (laughs) about, you know, get back to being Irish now and stop being like that. Um, so it's really interesting that you mentioned that your that that aha moment was afterwards. 
Um, so our listeners, in, in one of my previous episodes, I spoke about um, with Laurie Kidd about cultural intelligence and she went through the, the different phases of it. Um, I'd love to know about cultural agility from you and where this fits in. And I guess more importantly, how can we make, how are they distinguished as something different, but what are their connecting features? Um, so would you be able to explain to me what is cultural agility? Where does it lie in the realm of how is it related to cultural intelligence? I remember you spoke to me briefly. Um, you had a metaphor about a coffee cup. Um, so I'm hoping that that was a great metaphor. So I'm hoping that I hear that um, just to give us some clarity on, on what, what are the differences and the similarities. Absolutely. So cultural agility is the ability for an individual to um, be comfortable and effective in a multicultural situation, in a novel situation, something that's new and different to them. That's mm -hmm. actually the definition is a point of similarity between cultural agility and cultural intelligence. They're both individual level uh, differences that mm -hmm. people vary on, right? So some people are more culturally intelligent, some people are more culturally agile, and they both respond to a new and novel situation. Uh, where they're different, and, and I can I can share the metaphor, and I wish the metaphor was mine. It's not. It's Tanya Porchivans, and she's she's a fantastic um, cross cultural trainer from France, who who came up with the metaphor actually that cultural intelligence is like the coffee, cultural agility is like the mug, <laughs> or the cup yeah. that holds the coffee. And if you think about it, you can do a lot of things with a cup. You can put paper clips in it. You can put, you know, your water in it. You can put, you know, whatever you want in it. Mm -hmm. um, coffee is is the coffee. And but you need the two together to really drink your coffee, right? You need the coffee and the coffee. Um, it's much the same way with with cultural uh, agility. So cultural intelligence. Um, is that ability to adapt in a, in, a, in a context. Cultural agility are comprised of the competencies that we need in order to be effective in a novel environment, whether we're talking about resilience or tolerance of ambiguity, perspective taking, humility, relationship building. These are the things, the competencies that individuals can have mm -hmm. independent of being in a cultural situation. But if you have them, they kind of work together to form cultural agility. So that's a that's probably at the most superficial level. Cultural agility can can exist without having a, a kind of a cultural novel cultural experience. Cultural intelligence is inherent in being in a culturally challenging situation. So that that's probably one big difference. Um, is is that one exists in the absence of culture. And the other one is really around the, the construct of, of adaptation. And, and you know, I can I can step after this and, and see where you want to go. But the um, a, a, the idea that I think was Chris Early's definition is cultural intelligence is the ability to the capability to adapt to a novel cultural environment. Mm -hmm. And actually, what what I found in my research on cultural agility is that actually adaptation is only one response. So adaptation means you're comporting yourself in, or in the expectations of 
the context that you're in, saying rubbish instead of trash. <laughs> the expectation of your Irish uh, friends, where it was that you're gonna, you're gonna, hey, you're in Ireland, do what, do what the Irish do, and that would be the adaptation. Whereas cultural agility has kind of two other, other kind of levers to pull. One is cultural minimization, which is saying, you know what, I fully understand the cultural context here, but I need to behave in a way that's different because mm -hmm. it's, you know, in, in a business context, it's our safety, our production, our ethics, our values, or something I'm going to have to do to override cultural difference. So that's another one. And the third is, is cultural integration. It's saying, look, at, again, I fully understand the cultural difference here mm -hmm. and all of our differences, but, but you know what? It's not going to be my way. It's not going to be your way. We're mm -hmm. going to meet the middle or we're going to create something that's completely new for either us as a dyad or for for a team or a group um and what i've been finding in the cultural agility research is that we're that individuals who are really good at you know very high in cultural agility they toggle across these three they basically can read the environment for which you need cultural intelligence yeah. but then they respond as needed which is really that cultural agility uh, and you you mentioned there almost without saying the word the the whole concept of empathy so you know what role do you think that empathy plays in cultural agility um or how can individuals practice empathy in, in cross-cultural interactions do you think they're linked or it helps yeah empathy is really a fascinating construct um, because it can be trained and developed there's also some uh dispositional traits that come you know are part of that recipe that create empathy and it's it's inherent in one of the kind of six big competencies and that is perspective taking so the ability to see a situation through another person's eyes and the ability to um, to really feel what they're feeling. I mean, empathy goes a bit further. Perspective taking in most business contexts is about as far as you know yeah. people at least need to go. Empathy certainly does take it take it even further. Um, but it's a really interesting and important um, skill to build. It's, it's fun. One of the one of the exercises I do with my executives, with um, MBA students, is we, it's it's actually building perspective taking as a creative process. So, for instance, if you're waiting in line at the grocery store, all you have to do is say, OK, there's two people standing in front of me. You know, somebody's paying for groceries creatively. What are all the way what are all the different relationships those two people could have? You know, they could be husband, wife, they could be brother, sister, they could be neighbors, they could be friends, they could be this, they could be like, you could go on and on and on versus the whatever comes to mind first, that's what we assume. So it's yeah. almost like saying, let's try to keep building that perspective, building that contextual understanding um, as, a, as a creative process. That's just, a, it's a fun little exercise. Yeah, and actually talk about fun little exercises. Um, one of your LinkedIn training courses um I took and it was it was really fascinating and one of the the I guess one of the highlights for me that I ended up practicing the whole time um was like that not to take things for granted just even if they're in your cultural context not take for granted that someone thinks the way you do and it seems really obvious not to do that 
Um, but sometimes you need to hear it <laughs> to, for someone to say, don't forget, you can't assume that there's if, if you see black, they see black or if you see white, they say, see white. And I remember for that week, I met a lot of people. It just happened to be a week where I was meeting a lot of people from different cultures and always at the back of my hand, my mind, I had your words of, you know, don't assume that you know what they're thinking, even if they're saying things that may may feel like they align perfectly, always question. And I always tell my students, um, curiosity is the key to anything, right? As long as you're curious, you can ask pretty much any question. Um, so I guess curiosity is the pathway that can help people to understand better by asking more questions and not being fearful to ask questions as well and um, to understand situations better. So I know that you've you've done a lot of talks and presented all over the world on this um, topic. And obviously you, you do a lot of consultancy with different companies too. Has there been any point in, in your career um, that you have a story where you even you fell into the trap of thinking people thought the same and then going, oh, wait, I have to check myself. They mightn't think the same um, and learning <laughs> that experience yourself. Oh, my gosh, there's, there's like there's all the time, you know, this happens all all the time because you're right. It's the most natural thing in the world. Our brain is inherently lazy. It takes up 20 percent of our energy. Um, it, it's it's. It, it it just wants to conserve energy. So the way we do that is by assuming that we understand what others are, are thinking and feeling. And, and whenever we kind of allow our brain to be lazy, it, 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 it usually sends us down the wrong path, especially in a multicultural environment. Uh, curiosity is, is you, and thank you, it, it is one of the six critical competencies for building uh, cultural agility. So curiosity is what saves me usually, like like you were saying when when you're in these multicultural situations. So I one my one favorite one is, you know, giving a presentation and I was following um, somebody who is from Germany. We were in Finland, and the I was so the person who was German who was giving the talk was doing a great job at at inspiring the group to respond he'd ask a question and people would would respond and i'm like oh wow this is an atypical so i knew enough about the finnish culture i had enough mm -hmm. of, of cultural awareness i knew that that there was a little bit more of a quieter culture so i'm like wow this was doing really well he's doing really well like this is a different type of group so i'm watching something that i thought i understood and that is this group is a is an interactive group i went up to give my presentation and I did what I thought was the exact same thing. I started pitching out questions, dead silence. And I pitched out another question, dead silence. I'm like, okay, what am I doing? So after, so my, you know, natural brain would say, oh, it, it must be me, or they, it must be my accent. It might must be they don't like Americans, or they don't like, you know, you could you could imagine all the yeah. the the excuse. So I said, instead of doing that, I had you know curiosity. I went to our, our the person who was hosting us and I said I'm just curious um I noticed this when when uh person was talking and I noticed this when I was what's the difference you like what was the difference she goes oh Paula it's your it's your it's your tone when you ask a question um the difference was this mm -hmm. your, the German colleague actually had the question on the on the PowerPoint slide and then raised his voice and said, I'm asking a question. Oh. <laughs> or like, hey, what do you like? 
Whereas yeah. you just, you're so used to Americans just jumping in that you just raised your voice ever so slightly to, to hint that it was a question and nobody knew it was a question. <laughs> so I tried again and sure enough, she was 100% right. And it worked. It worked. <laughs> but I mean, that's just a fun little example. And, it, you know, it's one that a lot of people can relate to because presentations cross-culturally are very yeah. different. But you know, I know these things happen, you know, all day long when you're in another culture. Yeah, and you know, it's really reassuring that someone as esteemed as you are in this area, that I think a lot of people think it's, you know, anything to do with culture, we can learn it. And then it's 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 like an encyclopedia, we'll know it all, um, and then we'll be fine. And it, I think it's really important to share these stories that no matter how proficient you are in this, you're always learning because it's always changing. And, you know, you can't be afraid of making those mistakes. And, you know, depending, especially in the cultural context you're from, if you make a mistake, you you might be far more embarrassed about your mistake, but to understand that it's completely natural, that's how you actually learn how to navigate it more effectively. And that's why resilience and humility are two of the other big, <laughs> big competencies for cultural agility, because you need them, you need them both. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself. I mean, we cannot possibly be effective, as effective as we are in our home, home country. Um, yeah. And also, I think, you know, just like you, you can't learn your way to this, you've got to actually experience it. You also can't travel your way to uh, to become more culturally agile. It's really a combination of learning and being curious and being humble and, and trying to understand the context and trying to build perspective taking and resilience and curiosity. It's all those things together that that make us effective at this. Yeah, and I, I actually, you, you made me think of, I had a student a few years back and it, it, it comes up always as a question in class. Um, when I when I describe to people the importance of this um, and and you know understanding how people work differently and and different mindsets and inevitably every year I'll have someone who'll say but does it really matter in today's global world where we're all you know integrating with so many different cultures you know are we not just going to inherently know how to act differently because we're always around it now it's not as novel as it was 20 years ago where you know i you'd have two cultures you know someone from india and someone from ireland whereas today they're in a classroom and it's predominantly multicultural so they always ask a quest the question is this important even moving forward when we're in almost like a melting pot of cultures What's your take on that? Yeah, there's a there's a couple different. Oh, there's a lot going on in that question. Mm. Um, I, I hear that that also. I teach the same type of student in the studio. Um, just in the in the cosmopolitan world, your student is is correct, right? There are more shared norms mm. for behavior, we're seeing the world, the cosmopolitan world become more individualistic, more direct. Um, uh, you know, there are some there are some values around which, you know, individuals are getting socialized at a young age from their mm -hmm. families on up that are more similar than they are. I won't say than they are different, just are more similar. Yeah. Um, what happens, though, is that most of the world is not living in the cosmopolitan reality. 
And what starts to happen is we lull ourselves into believing that we're quite similar. I'll give you a corporate example because this happened. Was it a, it was a a Fortune 100 firm and it was with a C-suite executive and the C-suite executive was saying, Paul, I I don't get it. I don't understand this cultural stuff. You know, here's this, you know, look at our, look at our C-suite. You know, we are from, you know, five different countries and we get along perfectly well. And I just looked at him and I said, yep, you do. And you know what? You all went to one of these same three schools for your MBA. You all have this professional reality. You've all been socialized into this company for X number of years. So there was an attraction selection attrition to quote Ben Schneider, you know, you, you, you all shared enough values to succeed in this country or in this company. So guess what? You're more similar than you are different. And you could tell light bulbs went off. And he, cause yeah. he said, oh yeah. And then we have a hard time when we go out into the regions and we have even more of a challenge when we go out into um, the local subsidiaries. Yep, that's that because guess what? They're not as socialized as you are to be similar. Um, anyhow, so yes, there's there's a lot bundled in that. So so your student is right, and you know, no, we are not. We are still being socialized differently around the world. Yeah, exactly, and it also leads into, especially since well, because of the pandemic, um, I feel as well that a lot of people because all their work went remote. Um, and they were part of global virtual teams now that there was, I get the sense that there was almost an ease off on, you know, now we're online, there's not really much difference between us. Whereas when people were meeting face to face or if they had to travel, they were very aware that they were in a different cultural context because they just looked around. It was a different environment. But do you think people now fall into the trap when they're working um, in remote teams or sorry, um, like virtual teams that they think, well, I look around, I'm in Galway, I'm talking to Paula, I'm just going to assume because I see her kind of like she's in my living room um, Mm -hmm. that our cultures are, are somewhat similar. Do you think people fall into that trap and then more, I guess, more mishaps happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's 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 yes and you know I think similar to the the previous context, I think there are some similarities that that we're sharing, especially if there's a heavy socialization for how to be online, um, where people can say, you know what, the, the cultural differences have minimized because we're we all kind of are playing by the exact same rules, and we're exchanging technical information. And we were told to keep our our, uh, our you know, cameras on. So yeah. then, then you say, okay, there are some similarities because we're now we're just exchanging technical information. But at the same time, you, as you described, we're losing all kinds of inter um, intercultural cues that we would be able to respond to or ask about when we're in this on these small screens. And in doing so, we're missing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of problems in communications. Um, Something as simple as, I mean, the one that we all know and love is how much silence do you give when, when someone's, after someone speaks to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, That, that is, that is really challenging to realize when everybody seems to be acting the same on camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm seeing a huge difference in, um, just the, the context of how formal do you need to be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
Americans are notorious for being very, very casual. I think our <laughs> Irish Americans all right. So you know, we could be you know, fix. We could have just our kids running around, the dog, whatever. Whereas other people are very formal and and expecting this to be a more formal relationship. So there's still differences in formality. And I could keep going, but I I actually have been doing a lot of um, a lot of talks these days around exactly that where companies are realizing they're still running into uh, cultural challenges even though everybody is remote so they're not physically in another country so it's a it's a it's still a thing yeah absolutely and just to lead in from that if you look into the future um and future trends and developments in the area of cultural agility um what do you see happening in this arena over the next five to ten years or how can individuals prepare to become more culturally agile in in new working environments yeah i'm gonna um kind of i, I predict that we're, we're not we're not fully through the swing over to 100 percent remote yeah. um i predict that that's going to keep going that we're going to keep believing that we can do absolutely everything remotely and and i think Technology is advancing such that many things can be remote. My sense is what's going to start to swing back is situations where trust needs to be built and we don't have a a previous relationship. When people don't know one another, at least haven't met once, um, there's going to be an element of trust that companies will start to realize is a strategic advantage. And then you're going to start to see people getting back on planes, at Mm. least for those initial meetings or those initial team formations or that initial client meeting or, or whatever. Um, there's there's some inherent human element of of seeing someone face to face that uh, I, I think is just part of our our, our limbic system. <laughs> I think we need to to look people, you know, look at each other and uh, and connect a, a bit. So I think there's going to be I think trust will become part of a strategic advantage. So I think that's going to swing back a, a bit. Uh, so, so that's what I see in the future. I think we're going to be um, individuals are getting and will get better at building out those cultural competencies in advance of needing them. So oftentimes through our, you know, decades, we've, we've, you know, you're, you're quote unquote being sent somewhere, you're going to study somewhere, you're going to go do something, therefore you need to get ready for it. You need to prepare, you need to train for it. I, I think now i think diversity and inclusion has become so embedded in organizations uh, reality that we need to realize that we all need to build out humility perspective taking um, mm-hmm. resilience because in order to have more natural conversations with one another in order to to kind of comfortably talk about cultural differences so there there's a there, just like anything else you're working out we can we can build these competencies in advance of ever needing them uh, and I think companies are going to start start connecting with them. Yeah, and and I always finish uh, my podcast with two questions. Um, I'll give them to you together because it's just from a different perspective. But if you were to give advice advice to let's say employees and also the leaders, um, what advice would you give them when it comes to enhancing cultural agility from both an employee perspective and from the leadership perspective? Mm-hmm. So, I think just human, like, so employees just, you know, humans interacting in the world, I think we all need to get better at, at 
and focusing on wanting to get to know individuals' unique lenses, you know, kind of understanding who we are and yeah. what makes us tick, what our socializing agents were. So tell me about your family. What, where'd you go to school? So like the, the like really trying to get to better understand what makes people um, value what they value. But at the same time, finding those points of similarity, humans trust humans based on the connection points of similarity. And it can be something as small as as liking the same sport or you know wearing the same watch or or whatever. But whenever we find a point of similarity, it gives our brain this ease that says, oh, this person's kind of of my of my group. Um, and you're basically just tricking your brain to to be more open to yeah. another person. So the skill of finding similarity is is critical for individuals for employees. On the corporate side, um, I think it's you know, please, I beg of you companies, go easy on all that DEI training that is making people scared to have authentic conversations. So we're doing so much in unconscious bias and microaggression and all these trainings, which are, are great for awareness building. Mm-hmm. But what it's is it's scaring people to yeah. have natural conversations with one another. So I think we need to follow it up with this cultural agility training where people mm-hmm. can kind of develop those skills. So those would be my 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 two recommendations on the kind of individual level, but also organizational level. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And you have, um, can you briefly tell everyone about uh, Skillify? Sure, oh, I'd love to, right. So Skillify uh, was founded about a year and a half ago as a public benefit corporation with a designation in the United States that Mm -hmm. we have part of our charter to the greater good. And one of our products is actually it's free. <laughs> I can't really call it a product, um, but part of the greater good is a tool to help people build cultural agility. And it is it, it is fantastic. It's being used by tens of thousands of people around the world. And basically, you can go on to it's called My Guide. It's M Y G I I D E. So the idea you're helping people see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Uh, very clever, right? <laughs> so um, mygiide.com, you go on anytime and um, actually just assess cultural, your own cultural values and understand them relative to prototypes in different countries. But but I think what's even cooler is you can look at your, your kind of relative uh, standing around uh, cultural competencies like humility, resilience, perspective, taking tolerance, ambiguity, curiosity, and relationship building, six critical competencies. But then it goes further. How do you build those competencies and what are some you know things you can do? And then on the cultural value side, you can learn how to bridge the gaps if you're going to be interacting with people from a different culture. So it's a really cool tool. All of it's free um, for faculty. If there's faculty members using it, that's getting assigned to students. Uh, again, it's free. Yeah, I've used it um, and I can attest it is. It's, it's a wonderful tool and really, really informative. And what I'll do at the um, in the description of the podcast, I'll add a link for anyone who would like to avail of it. Um, it. It really does give you, like you said, along the six core competencies, it really does give you insight and also explains really well what each are and why it's important to have it and as you mentioned how to build it. Um, Paula thank you so much again for taking the time um, to talk to me today. Um, I I will include all of Paula's uh, LinkedIn information along with um, some links and also her newest book um, for people to take a look at and thank you very much. It was great. Oh it was my pleasure great fun look forward to seeing you in Boston.
Yes, see you in a week. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Culture Shocked. Stay tuned, I'll be back with more. And in the meantime, make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn.